Influence Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Eckes, a serial entrepreneur and social media guru that has an infatuation with all things business related. On the show, we bring together brands, creators, and thought leaders to discuss the power of influence. Each episode is jam-packed with learnings, firsthand stories, and conversations from guests that truly have their finger on the pulse. Stay tuned as we dive into the stories and explore the impact they're making by getting under the influence. This is a Soulfire production. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I am joined by serial entrepreneur and marketing guru, Whitney Eckes. She is the founder of Eckes Marketing and Get Super. Welcome to the show, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me on, Chelsea. I'm so excited. I'm so excited you're here because I selfishly have a lot of questions, but I also know <laughs> they will help my audience who is consisting of a lot of new entrepreneurs or people that are maybe like two to three years in their journey. And you seem to really have really nailed down what you do in your entrepreneurship journey. But I'm curious, were you always entrepreneurial or did this come later in life? Like, how did you get here? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say I was always entrepreneurial. I would say that I always had a love for being creative. Like I've always naturally been very creative and very driven to just kind of do things that were like really out of the box. One of my first jobs, I was like, I don't want like a normal job. Like I want to work for Red Bull. I really was like always kind of into just anything that was like out of the norm or different or creative or was just really disruptive. And really, I became entrepreneurial when I had left this hospitality group that I was working for right out of college and was like, I can be doing what I'm doing with this hospitality group for myself. And so kind of through that, it was like more or less freelancing. But then within like our second or third year, I forget which exactly, I was like, I'm turning this into an agency and I'm going to hire people to really come on board with my team and or build a team. And so, yeah. And now you're here. I feel yeah, like I'm here. hiring and building a team, when I used to hear that, I didn't understand that you could hire out contractors or freelancers, or you could hire people full time. And I feel like a lot of times when people say hire, they don't know which one we're talking about. So can you just talk about hiring and what was it like hiring, finding the budget to hire, like the whole process? Yeah. So I feel like I definitely hired like way too early. I feel like I was being coerced into hiring an assistant and having people help me. And quite honestly, I feel like the way that I look at it now is I really kind of wish I would have had more of a structure and a system and really had an idea of what I was hiring for before I just started bringing people on to basically execute tasks. And I think there's a difference in hiring someone for a specific role and having them lead a specific system or project or overseeing management or anything like that versus just hiring someone to help you with tasks. And I feel like now we live in such an age where it's like we have Fiverr, we have Upwork, we have these really awesome tools that I necessarily like didn't really know about when I first started. And so I was really bringing on these people that necessarily weren't I was like, the best way to describe this is I was like bringing on people and like selling them the vision and then they were executing tasks, but I was teaching them how to execute tasks. Mm. And so that was a really big learning curve for me, especially when I started hiring more senior level people or started training and investing more into my company culture. And so 
looking at that now, like I didn't really know what I was doing back then. And now the way that I go about hiring is really ensuring that number one, like they have the right energy. They're an energy that wants to be a part of this team. They're wanting to work with our clients. They're wanting to work alongside me because let's face it, they have to talk to me every day. And second, really finding someone that has the ambition and skill set where they are wanting to bring more to this role than just executing the task or getting the job done. And that has taken almost five years to really understand who to look for. And even still, I take such a long time to hire people because I truly have to feel into, are they going to be a good fit in this company? Are they going to enjoy their day-to-day tasks? But also too, are they going to be bringing something so much more and something so much larger to this agency because honestly, we're still growing. And so that's something that even now within the last year and a half, I've really come to a realization with when it comes to my hiring is that it's not just me hiring like the best senior talent or paying the highest salary. It's really looking for someone that's going to be a good fit for our team and really understand the company. Oh, this is such good advice. And I feel like something to double click on is not hiring task executors, but people that are forward thinkers and actually can take on that role. I've been there too, where I've hired an assistant where I'm like, I'm just giving you a to-do list every day where Mm -hmm. if I maybe manage my time better, I could do it where I was like, I need someone to see my white space and the gaps and be like, Chelsea, this is really inefficient. Why don't we do this? Let me handle this. Let me do this. And then they're just that person, not me wearing 12 different hats. And I think a lot of people wear the 12 different hats. And like you said, they're not really sure where to outsource or how to figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. So how would you recommend someone that's maybe newer in business finding out those strengths and weaknesses? It's so funny because we literally just hired this incredible, she's my executive assistant, but literally her whole job is my efficiency Mm. and my team's efficiency. So she just built out, I think she just took honestly like a month and built out like a whole system processing project manager inside of Notion. She rewrote all of our SOPs. She basically meets with like myself and my team to make sure like we are staying efficient. And I mean, we are in our fourth year business and it took me four years to figure out that that's what I was needing. So it's not like, it's very common. Like we Mm -hmm. go about as entrepreneurs, like we already wear so many hats. We're already doing so much different shit that like we're controlling the situation the best way we know how. And so for us, honestly, it really came down to me wanting to scale the agency to a whole nother level in 2022 and being like, okay, what's lagging? What is basically causing us to not be super efficient or to take up my team's hours? And it's not really equating into all this revenue. Like where's the disconnect? And really, honestly, I would say as an entrepreneur, open yourself up to feedback. Open yourself up to sitting down with your team and asking them what's working and what's not. That was wildly enlightening when I did that. (laughs) Um, And then also to ask them, I mean, again, we're like service-based, right? So one of my questions was, what do you not enjoy doing? What do you feel like moves the needle? And what do you feel like is a time suck that also doesn't really move the needle for clients? And honestly, it came down to this one core service that we were offering that was like, part of these packages. And it was taking up maybe five to seven hours of their week that just wasn't equating into anything. Mm. And so we were like, okay, that's got to go. Second, I opened myself up to a lot of feedback from other agency owners. And then also to basically talking with one of my girls actually 
referred our executive assistant. And she's like, I've worked in this other company and she worked alongside of me in this other company. She's like, and I feel like it's worth a conversation. And I basically chatted with her and she's like, yeah, she's like, you guys honestly have all your shit together and you're so organized. She's like, you guys are really kind of doing things in like this old traditional way. We were leading our meeting agenda and action items on the Google Doc versus putting in like a timeline system or different items to kind of track the productivity and like the process of managing these various projects for clients. And so that I know that was long winded, but that's like my advice is number one, open yourself up to your team and what they're seeing, because if they're on the ground floor, they're seeing a way different view than you are. And then number two, open yourself up to whether it's like a mentor or someone that has the expertise to come in and look at the guts of your company and be like, hey, like this is why you know, you're not hitting this revenue or this is what's slowing your team down or this is why they're overworked. And honestly, like investing in that too has made all the difference for the agency. Oh, such a helpful answer. I feel like people are taking notes. If you're not, pause (laughs) this, go back, take notes because I think this is something that the feedback piece, a lot of us are scared of feedback because sometimes we take it personal. Like, am I a bad manager? Am I a bad teammate? But the way you think of it is the alternate. What am I going to do? Just keep being a bad manager and we're going to keep rolling at this steady pace and not growing and having clunky systems. And you, like you said, hire someone that knows it better than you do. I did the same thing. I hired, I realized this actually over the course of the year, I kept investing in courses and memberships and Mm -hmm. coaches and it clicked. I don't need that. I need a system specialist. Sounds like what your executive assistant is. This person is an expert in this area and can come look and be like, this process makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this manually? Let's automate this. That didn't click for me until two years in. And I like that you're transparent about, yeah, this took four or five years. This wasn't like month one, figured it no. out. So can you talk a little bit about the beginning? Like, were there times where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Let me just go <laughs> back to another job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one point, okay, there was one, I mean, my first year I had 15 clients. I had one person helping me. And I think all those clients were maybe, maybe paying me $500, like not a good system at all. And I was literally like, what the hell am I doing? And also too, I mean, I was 22 years old. So that also kind of was like probably the most money I'd ever made in my career. But also I was like, this is way too, like I'm overwhelmed. Like I'm missing everything. And when you go to start, I mean, Again, my story is really different because I didn't come from an agency background. I didn't come from someone that had worked a lot. I was so green and so new that I knew social media really well. And I had been marketing. I'd got my marketing experience from Red Bull and from the hospitality group that was representing Hilton and Marriott. So I knew the gist, like I knew the dance and I knew how to execute social media. I did not know anything about how to structure an agency and how to run an agency. So with that, one of the things that I did was I honestly, I remember doing this. I wrote out every step and every process it took to executing the work for that client. Mm -hmm. I then wrote out like all of my own best practices or what I was doing. That became like at least for the first two to three years, like the Bible of like how to manage a client. And I think in a sense, that was like my first standard operations procedure. But also that's where I started to get 
really keen on how to train people or how I wanted things done. And even now, like social media marketing changes every day. But like when we were doing social media management, that was how I was able to also see what wasn't working anymore, especially in social, like what wasn't growing or what wasn't benefiting the client or benefiting my team. And so yeah, back then, like I was super gritty and I did it all and was pulling my hair out. And now looking at it, I think that if you ever go to start your own service-based business, look at your service offerings and really analyze the hours and time that go into them and then get kind of crafty. How do you scale that? Do you need to hire someone? Do you need to have a contractor or project manager that comes in and does five hours of this work so that you can focus on scaling the business or sales or your own personal marketing or whatnot? But I would get super clear on your service offering and then also to how it's scalable. Because that's the other thing I think with freelance is that We get so bogged down. We have this awesome service that we're doing, but it's not scalable because we're trying to do so much just on our own time. And it doesn't work that way. So the next step is creating the machine, right? It's taking what you can do and the skills that you have and being able to process it across multiple clients or services. Oh, more amazing advice. Once again, I'm like... (laughs) Like we're only like 12 minutes in. I'm like, I'm learning so much already, but oh my gosh, it's so helpful to hear. Again, I want people to know you probably won't have all this figured out in your first six months, a year, maybe even two to three years. Like I'm almost two years in business and I'm still very much like, why am I doing all this myself? I think something that we've touched on a little bit is money. You were talking about your first few clients making $500 per client and then hiring. I know that can be scary sometimes because depending on how you hire, you're like, Mm -hmm. do I have enough money to pay this person every month? Or if you're taking them on full time, you're responsible for their livelihood. So Mm -hmm. I feel like no one really talks about this, but did you ever learn how to manage money early on? Or were you just like, oh, I I have a lot of money now. Let me see what happens. Did you have help? Did you learn? I'm just so curious about learning to manage money early on. Yeah. I mean, so I come from a long line of like entrepreneurs. My dad, he's been the most incredible parent. I loved being raised by him, especially from like a business standpoint. So yeah, I had a little bit of help with understanding. I mean, I knew how to calculate your profit before I knew any simple math. Like (laughs) it was those kind of things. That was just the way I grew up. But it was one of those things too, where I would say really understanding the revenue of the company and the expenses and what profit meant from an early standpoint, my business. Yeah, I I knew those things and I knew how to kind of manage my money, but I also really didn't know what I was doing when it came to my expenses. I mean, I invested in all of these different things. I spent money like left and right because I was honestly trying to market myself. And some of those things worked out great. For example, I hosted right honestly before, I mean, I guess influencers were kind of a thing, but forget what year it was, but it was like really like my first year in business. I hosted this influencer brunch and got all of these speakers to come on, which were all from San Diego. So we had Lena Harris from SoulCycle. We had Lauren Everett's Bostic from Skinny Confidential. We had, I'm trying to think of a couple of oh, Geraldine Radura from Holy Matcha and a couple other speakers on there. And I basically just somehow was able to ask for everything to be calmed because of these speakers. And I had every San Diego influencer attend a free brunch. And that came out of Ekus Marketing's money in my own personal pocket, but it worked. And I had built 
now a curated list of 150 San Diego influencers that I knew by name. So yeah, did I know how to manage money? Not really. (laughs) I don't think, especially if you've never owned your own business, there's a huge learning curve. And the other thing too, is like, you're going to make mistakes, but reshift that mindset of you being afraid to make mistakes into you need to learn and test what works for you and what works for your business. I have a girlfriend that started her agency about three years ago and she decided that she was going to invest in her team first and foremost before the revenue came in, before the clients, before the op, before any of that. And it has worked out so well for her. That has not been my story. And I love that that works for her. And we might share a little bit of differences as business owners, but that's where she chooses to invest. Our investment looks a whole lot different from Eka's marketing agency standpoint, but I can't say that her system of managing her money for her own business works better than mine and vice versa. So I think when you go to look at your expenses, to look at your revenue, to set your own goals, Look at what are the opportunities in which you're going to make your money like work for you. And are you going to be kind of willing to invest here or test that or try that? And there, I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. I mean, you talked about business courses and coaches. Like I've had coaches and done so many courses as well. And some of them have been great. There was one where I paid $2,500 on. The girl talked to me one time. I never got a dime or anything after. Like it sucks. But also, you don't know what works for you until you try. A hundred percent. I think this is a message that we all need to hear. You are going to make a mistake. It is almost inevitable in entrepreneurship. You might, you'll make a mistake. Go stop and Google the definition. The definition of entrepreneur is someone who takes financial risks that are basically not normal to anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's the definition. You're constantly taking financial risks. And this is where tracking your money and knowing where it's going does become really important because I used to do the same thing of like, oh, whatever, like I'll sign up for this software and this and this and this. And I was like, do I even need this software? Or could I just have invested in a person or a system, whatever the case is. But I'm also curious, I know there's people listening that are like, I want to invest in, let's say an assistant or this software that is really, really good, but I just don't have the actual liquid cash. Mm -hmm. What do I do? What would you recommend? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay. Well, I mean, there's a couple different options. The first thing that I would say is look at number one, this role in this position. Is this something that could be long-term? Is it something worth equity? Is it something worth building and having someone come on and you're sharing a bit of your shares with them? Or is it something that you know you're not quite ready for because the funds aren't there, or is it something that you know you can work into whether it's like an internship or it's something along the lines of seeking other avenues that maybe aren't going to cost you capital or liquid finance or whatever or liquid finance and liquid funds. So I think there's a couple different options there, but you will have to get creative and you will also have to set yourself up with is me hiring this person going to build that revenue or is it going to take away from it? And ultimately, when you go to hire someone, again, I learned this from one of my best friends who also owns an agency. And again, it took me a couple of years to actually for this to click. But every person that I hire inside of Ecos Marketing should be increasing our revenue. And my girls, like they know that they know that they have to be managing a certain amount of clients. They know they have to be hitting their goals like month over month. 
But every person inside of that agency knows that their job is to create more wealth for the company because ultimately, if they're creating more wealth for the company, they're going to create more wealth for themselves. And that's also too something that I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes we forget is that when we go to hire someone, we need to set this clear expectation of what their job is and how they're contributing back to the company. So if you're looking at hiring, especially starting out, make sure you're measuring that. Is this person going to help your bandwidth? Are they going to free up more time so that you can bring in more sales? Are they going to be doing sales for you? Are they working on a commission basis? There's so many different areas of evaluating that person's role and also making sure that it's financially viable for you and for the company. Don't just hire because you need something done, especially when we talk about too, like there's a difference between hiring contracts and hiring contractors or hiring employees. When you go to hire an employee, I mean, especially in California, it is such a commitment that you need to be very sure about what this person and what their role is and to make sure that it is, again, it's something that's going to be viable for you and eventually contribute to the success of the company and the success of their own career. Get Super is an instant wellness beverage brand created by moi. So good, you won't believe it's instant. It's for those seeking convenient energy sans the jitters. That's right. We put good old-fashioned broad-spectrum hemp CBD into our organic Arabica instant coffee. It's probably Arabica, but I call it Arabica because it sounds more fun. Get Super, and our hemp extract contains all the naturally occurring cannabinoids and turpentines. We include about 20 milligrams of hemp per each stick pack to give you all the fun, calm energy, plus that true entourage effect. All the benefits without getting quote unquote high, as all of our products are non psychoactive. Get Super has been featured in Forbes US Today and was named top startup to watch in 2021 by Yahoo Finance. Also, you guys, Get Super has helped me with my anxiety. It helps me sleep better at night. I've mentioned to you guys my whole mental health journey. And honestly, this company was a just passion and project of love because of what I've gone through and what I've walked through with my own depression and anxiety. I hope that it will help you the same exact way it has helped me. So go ahead and get your 15% off by using the code under the influence 15 at checkout. That's right. Under the influence 15 at checkout. Oh, yeah, that's really big. And I want everyone to know, too, starting out, you don't have to hire employees off the bat. And you said your friend did. Yeah. You can. And that's what we're saying. There's different things that work for different people. So sure. I, I'm i still in the face. I haven't hired a full-time employee. I probably mm-hmm. will hire my systems person as soon as I can because she's amazing. But <laughs> you just made a really good point of don't just hire them because they can do something for you. I recently mm-hmm. noticed all my sales come from me being a guest on podcasts, mm-hmm. me speaking on my podcast, or me creating a really great email sequence. It is rarely from Instagram. It's usually like the cherry on top. And I was like, why would I put all my eggs in the social media management basket when I could put my eggs in someone that could help me pitch on podcasts. I have direct evidence that that works for me. I have multiple times where someone has said they found me on a podcast, yeah. but here I am putting all my eggs in the Instagram basket. I'm like, that 
actually doesn't make sense as a business owner for me to invest in social media management when I could, be, again, be investing in like a, a guest pitching agency. Sure. And I think a lot of people, we just see, we see entrepreneurs and we're like, they're everywhere. They're on Instagram, they're on podcasts, they have a Twitter, they have a website. Like they don't really know what to invest their money in. So mm-hmm. if you were going back to Whitney year one and you could have done something a little bit differently, where would you have put your money? Mm. Oh, so many different ways. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Like my, my brain just like exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so many different ways. Number one, I think that I would have quite honestly, I would have gone to someone that had a successful agency and hired them as a consultant to not just mentor me, but to literally set up my systems. Second, I would have gone the contractor route before I ever hired any employees for as long as possible. Third, I would have really taken the time to make my first hire someone that I felt like was going to grow the company because their seniority or their experience in one or two tasks was higher than mine. I think that's the other thing too that I think we don't talk about as entrepreneurs is hiring people that basically outshine our certain skills or that have a higher level of seniority or experience than we do. Yeah. Looking back at it now, I'm like, I would have done a lot of things differently. Am I grateful for where I'm at now? Yeah. I mean, I've learned all of this and I wouldn't be talking the way I'm speaking had I not gone through all that and learned for myself. But sure, those are the things that I would have definitely done differently. Oh, really good tips. We've been talking a lot about systems and efficiency and productivity. What is one system that you've set up that you think could translate to other service providers or business owners that has really, really made you more efficient? Okay. So as a service provider, number one, your communication, I feel like is what makes a service provider great versus a service provider. How do I say this? I want my clients to keep coming back to me. I want my team to feel heard. So one of the biggest things inside of Ecos Marketing is our communication. In fact, I just had this conversation with my team this morning on our team call. I'm like, hey, we need to start communicating, over communicating on when clients are going to have their deliverables. Now we have two team meeting calls a week. We do these things called weekly updates and we offer either bi-weekly or monthly calls for our clients. We are constantly, constantly talking to them. And quite honestly, it, number one, it does one of two things. Number one, it figures out if a client is super aligned with us and we are able to build a super strong relationship with them or if they're not a good fit. And then number two, it also is builds this level of efficiency and trust because now if my team's communicating deadlines, if they're communicating expectations, they have to hold themselves to that. And same thing too, if you are a freelancer, think about your communication. Think about the way that you're showing up for your client. And yeah, does it take sometimes extra hours to write that email every single week? Totally. But my clients know. And now you know what about the majority of those clients don't even look at the weekly update because they trust that whatever's happening is going to happen. They trust that they're going to get their deliverables on time. They know when to expect it. And I mean, that's even something too, where I'm like, I even told my team, I'm like, I never want a client to ask when they're going to receive something. They should already know. Mm. And if you're not communicating that via their meeting, if you're not communicating that via email or Slack or whatever line of communication you have with them, 
you're not thinking clear enough ahead and you're not setting up that expectation. So I think as a service provider, communication is huge. Aligning on your own expectations and deliverables is also huge because it creates a roadmap for your systems. Like it creates the timelines, it creates the due dates, it creates how many hours you're spending on what project. And I think setting those expectations up for yourself and for the client early also creates a great relationship. Oh, yeah. I feel like the onboarding slash offboarding and communication in between is so underrated. People always Mm -hmm. talk about like just making the sale and having a great experience during the package. And you're like, the onboarding really could make or break if people are like, what's my next step? Who am I in contact with? How do I get in touch with you guys? You need to have an onboarding process and offboarding. Like, when is the project over? Is there anything left? What do we do next? Is there an upgrade option? Those Mm -hmm. are things that I feel like you learn again as you go. But it is really important to think about the whole experience, like you said, because now your clients trust you. They know we're going to get this done because she knows what she's doing. She's communicated it to us. And that's something that I feel like you you have this like boss energy, like what you just said. If you guys aren't thinking about this, you're not thinking clear enough. You're not thinking ahead. Mm -hmm. This is what Mm -hmm. I expect. Did you always have that personality or did that develop from no. starting your business? <laughs> yeah, no. No, there was like a point in time where I was like afraid to ask my team members to like execute. There was a point in time where like I was taking on their own tasks because I didn't feel comfortable like having those conversations with them. And I was trying to honor their own like work style and their work ethic. But honestly, like I'm driving the ship. I know what works. I know what clients are needing. And if I fail to communicate that with my team, my team's going to fail. And not only is the agency going to fail, but my team members are not going to thrive. They're going to be in a career where they think they're doing a good job. And quite honestly, they see this response and they see this whatever work that's not adequate enough for a client. And they're going to be like, but wait a minute, you told me I'm doing everything great. Or why are you taking over this task for me when this is essentially my job? It creates this disconnect and this, again, like there's no transparency. And honestly, in 2020 into 2021, I went through a lot of like my own self journey and my own health journey. And one of the things I started realizing was that I was really kind of not able to entrust my team. And it wasn't anything that they were doing. It was more so the way that I was presenting myself as a leader. And that also created this really kind of weird energy that it almost felt like my team didn't really trust me either. Because they didn't really know how I truly felt. And so that directness, that clarity It's still hard for me at times. There's still times when like somebody makes a mistake or something doesn't go or a client drops because it wasn't a great experience. And I'm like, you know, it sucks, but I also have to tell the team why. I have to explain what happened or I have to call out whatever mistake was made. And ultimately, if it wasn't, I think, again, as entrepreneurs, we feel selfish when we talk about the success of the company. But ultimately, like your company is only as successful as your systems and the people inside of it. So if I'm not investing in those people, I'm not making them a success, I'm not bettering them, my company will fail. And that has given me a lot of courage and a lot of strength to be able to communicate the way I do. And obviously, it's way easier for me to like say these things on a podcast than it is like internally with my team meetings. But it is something where I have to hold my breath and just say it and be direct and be so clear, even though I'm like naturally a people pleaser, and I want everyone to be super happy and love what they do. Like, sometimes I have to be like, hey, this isn't gonna work, or this isn't gonna fly. And that 
has been a learning experience from being a business owner. It's really interesting to number one, I think business brings out, I think it brings out a lot of like the things about us that maybe we're insecure about. I think it really tests the way that we view ourselves, whether it's being a leader, a good communicator, smart enough, talented enough, whatever it is, I think that it really challenges us. But also too, I think it also grows us in this incredible way. You know, the other thing too, is that business really is just working with people. And whether it's a product-based business or a service-based business, you're working with people. And so it's really challenging you as a human being to look at these different skill sets you have or the way that you talk to people or the way that you lead or the way that you go about a lot of things in your life. And it tests you like hard. And that's why I think too, there's such an element of entrepreneurship that goes into mental health and that goes into how we feel spiritually because what's not for the faint of heart, it's really something that you have to internally grab a hold of and be passionate about and walk through and learn as you go. Oh, yeah. So much to unpack here. I agree. I think something that you said that really stood out was just being clear and direct because they won't know they're doing a good job or a bad job or not. Mm -hmm. And there's that Brene Brown quote that's clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So I know when we as business owners are saying that was a mistake, you need to fix that next time. Like that's unacceptable. You feel like you're saying to them, oh my God, you dumb idiot. How could you do that? But you're like, Mm -hmm. you're not, that's not what you're saying. You're actually saying this is just a correction so that we can all win. Like when you're winning, I'm winning. It's not you did bad and I'm better than you. And that's something that you said. It brings out this shadow side of us that we're like, oh my God, am I mean? Am I a bitch? Do people think this about me? My like, I guess, shadow piece that I'm working through is discipline and organization. I've always Mm -hmm. been a very like chaotic, flowy, go, who cares? We'll figure it out. And now I'm like, that's not scalable. You cannot just figure things out every week and see what happens. (laughs) That's not how a business operates. And my systems person is like, that's her shit. So she's like, Hey, there's like a lot of inefficiencies and it Mm -hmm. makes me feel a little insecure. I'm like, am I really like this age? And I don't know how to do this and this and this thing. Like, does she think I'm an idiot? And it's just interesting that we sometimes get in our head. And I want to talk about this mental health piece because it's super important. I'm like, I think along with hiring a systems person and a VA and whoever else you need, you need a therapist. So can we (laughs) talk about the mental health side of things? How do you set boundaries? I think that's a good place to start is boundaries, because that's a lot of where a lot of mental health issues come up. We have no boundaries. Yeah. I had zero boundaries for like a really (laughs) long time. I remember like even having like team members be like, yo, I'm uncomfortable answering these texts at late at night. And I'm like, you gotta. And I'm like, now we have literally stated in our contract, like our times of communication. So first and foremost, let's start here. If you do not take care of yourself and if you do not make sure that you're showing up, taking care of, in your power, feeling good, your work is not going to reflect that. Now, if you show up that in front of team members, your team is going to feel that regardless. Like you are the leader. You have to take care of yourself because ultimately, if you don't, you're selling the message to your clients and to your team. It's okay if I don't take care of myself. It's okay if I don't prioritize my means. It's okay if I am constantly stressed or burned out because that's also saying to your clients and to your team that it's okay for them to be like that. And Mm. it's okay 
for the work and the quality that you're putting out to be a reflection of that. No one wants that. No brand wants me to represent them when my team's overworked or I'm burnt out. Why? Why would they even pay me money? What is it doing for them? It's doing nothing. So, (laughs) and again, I used to run myself ragged and there's even times where I have to really check myself because it is really hard for me not to want to put in my all. And I think, again, as entrepreneurs, we're naturally, we want to do that. We want to give our best. We don't want to stop working because either we feel we're being lazy with our time, we're not being as efficient, or we could be building while we're resting. And that's something that we have to understand is, I don't want to say a flawed behavior, but a behavior that could actually hurt you in the long run, because ultimately you only have so much bandwidth. And if you burn through all of that, you're running on embers, like instead of really being fueled up. So when we talk about like mental health for business, I think the first thing that like comes to me is number one, learning how to set up these boundaries in order to better take care of yourself, learning how to tell your team or yourself, Hey, my office hours are from 10 to five. You have plenty of time to communicate within that with to me. And outside of that, that is my own personal time. The reason why I have my own personal time like that is so that I could better show up for you. Second, I would have to say is really analyzing what really you need, whether it's personal care, whether it's slowing down and resting, or if you're creative, do you need three weeks to lean into this creative vision versus trying to get it done the next day? What are these things that are going to help you better perform and execute but also still be able to fill you up so that you could show up in your best light. And I didn't have those boundaries. I didn't have those boundaries for my team. Ultimately, it led to me really like at one point, like I was like thinking about just closing, I guess, marketing down. Like I was like, I'm done. I'm over this. It does not fill me. It does not light me up. And honestly, there are some days where sometimes like that feeling still comes back and I have to recognize what I'm doing. And then I realized like, you know what? Is this service no longer aligned with me? Is this client not a good fit? Is this team member not someone that I'm ready for? Like what is bringing me to that feeling? And then also accepting that I have control over my schedule, over my time, over who I communicate with and making a change and shifting it because that's also a boundary. If something doesn't work, it's not meant for you. Like, let it go. You're able to surrender it. You have the free will to let it go. And there's nothing wrong with saying, this is not a good fit for me. I'm moving on to the next. It doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that something, you know, you're a terrible person or X, Y, and Z or whatever internal thoughts you're thinking. It means that it wasn't aligned for you in this moment. And it's better to let it go than to keep trying to push yourself to make something happen or make it a success. And again, I'm in service. I'm in an agency. That is a huge learning curve when we're talking about revenue, when we're talking about payroll. And I've had to let clients go. I've had to let clients not resign and tell them that we're not resigning with them the next month. Like it sucks and it's really hard and it's terrifying, but ultimately like I let those clients go and all of a sudden a whole new shift of clients that were so aligned and so perfect for my team came in. And that truly spiritually, I totally believe that once you surrender what's not meant for you, something that is meant for you comes right in. 
Oh, love, love, love this. This reminds me of the a book Do Less by Kate Northrup. If you guys haven't checked it out, check it out. There's all these studies of companies that actually tried out a four-day work week so that their employees could have three-day weekends, and they actually saw their revenue increase, their productivity increase. There were yeah. not as many sick days. People didn't have to take off as much because they were actually happy. And it's yeah. interesting because if you didn't grow up, with that model, you just think I have to put in minimum 40 hours a week and I'll push myself to the max because this is my business. I think there's this yeah. element of survival with entrepreneurship. It's like, I have to make this work. So I have to work 24 hours a day. But like you said, that's actually not even sustainable. Looking at a screen all day, I can tell you guys this right now, I'm getting a vision exam in a few weeks. And I'm like, it's because the last month I've been on my computer all day, every day that I like, <laughs> am losing like my vision or something. And my mm -hmm. mom's like, yeah, because you're always on your laptop. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't get it. I have a business. I have to make things happen. But like what you just said, it's like, wait, that actually means I have a bad system set up if I have to work 14 hours a day. Like it either means I'm really inefficient or something. I'm doing something wrong. I don't have the right person in place. Why am I working 14 hours a day? And then it makes me realize, oh yeah, I need to stop doing that. I need to hire out or I need to have better boundaries. I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize what you just said. I have control of this situation. I used to do 90 minute calls twice a week with my clients. And I was at wow. one point took on 10 clients. I was on calls all day, listening to people one-on-one, -on -one, Voxer in between. You could hit me up anytime, Monday through Friday. And I was like freaking out. My coach is like, why don't you just A, change your hours, B, change the time of the calls. You can change even, you don't even have to answer Voxers. You could do it one time a day. I'm like, oh, what a concept. I can actually change my services and my hours. Like, mm -hmm. didn't realize that. And she's like, yeah, it's your business. Like, you're the boss. And I like that you said that. Th this isn't working for me. I'm going to let it go. And usually something better does come along. I, yeah. I think that's really interesting. We always think, oh, this is it. Look, what's going to happen? It's like, I really think the universe rewards you. It's like, let it be easy. And I think that's mm -hmm. hard for entrepreneurs. We like the hustle and the grind and like, yes, last minute we got it done. But it's we're shifting, I think, into a new era of like easy, rested entrepreneurs, not busy, busy, busy working 80 hours a week. Like that's not the vibe anymore. Yeah. Well, I also feel like it's also like the betterment of the quality of work and the betterment yes. of the quality of the energy and the people that you're working with. Right. I remember when I started my business, I was working so many hours and I was nannying as extra income. And wow. the little kid goes, why are your eyes red? Like, why are your green eyes red? And I was like, yeah. Oh my God, because I wasn't sleeping. And then I was showing up to calls with cracked out eyes, tired, mm. could barely listen. And like you said, my quality of work, I was like, why would someone pay me money to show up and I'm exhausted and I can barely listen to them? I wouldn't want to yeah. pay for that. It's yeah. really interesting that we think more hours work equals better quality. It's actually quite inverse. Mm -hmm. totally. So interesting. So I'm curious about your day because we're talking about boundaries, productivity, time management is probably really, really key here. So walk us through a day in Whitney's life, including the self-care and personal time. You know, I wish I could say that I was like, I totally have my schedule hacked and it's the best and X, Y, and Z. Honestly, I'm running two companies. It's not like there's so many times of me being out of balance than not. But that's also like the life that I've chosen, especially for the next couple years. And I'm happy with it and it fills me up. But one of the things that I am really big on is number one, giving myself time to 
accept my day and then also decompress. And then also as well, taking care of myself and making sure that I'm filling myself up with things that are nourishing. So for example, like my morning routine, my normal boundary is that I don't accept any calls before 10 a.m. And that gives me my whole morning to really kind of set up my day and I can go for a walk. I can go work out. I can read. I can journal and meditate and kind of be decompressed before I'm immediately hit with all this information from the businesses. And then after I try to make a hard stop between four to 5 PM and get offline, whether that's like, again, like reading or making a meal, like cooking at home or even going out to dinner with like friends or girlfriends or whatnot. I try to really observe those boundaries because there have been times in my life and there I'm sure there will continue to be where I do have to pull the all-nighters. I do have to stay up and make sure something gets done in order to hit a deadline. And that doesn't ever go away. But if you're really taking care of yourself in the times that you're not pulling those all-nighters, those things are fine. It's okay for them to happen. And sometimes like they do happen in business. Like sometimes you just are out of balance and it's cool. Like it, that's just the nature of it sometimes. But outside of that too, the other thing is like really looking at my own self-nourishment and making sure that I'm happy. And I think For me, it looks a lot like taking time off. It looks a lot like maybe going and getting cupping and massages and sitting down with my girlfriends to talk about our mental health and to talk about where we're at in life. Even there was one day I was so stressed. I don't even remember why, but we had our meeting on Monday, our team meeting that usually starts at 10. And I literally text my team. I'm like, I'm not going to be on here. I'm not in a good space. You guys aren't going to like my energy. You guys can handle this without me. And for whatever reason, that was the best thing possible. I journaled all morning and actually mapped out our entire 2022 plan for Access Marketing and for Get Super. And I needed that. And so I lean into what nourishes me because when I am nourished, I am able to lead the vision. I'm able to come up with these ideas. I'm able to be my best at the creative mindset. And that's something for me as an entrepreneur, like I have to really look at my days and make sure like I'm not overworking myself. And if I am overworking myself, the next week better be just cherry pie and easy and giving me enough time to rest. That being said too, like there's a lot of things that I've had to grow and learn, especially with like friends and family and not giving up my time. There's weekends where I have friends and family that are like, we haven't seen you in months. And I'm like, I know. And you're not going to see me this weekend either. And here's why. And that's hard. It's super hard. But I also know that if I continue to just give up myself and give up my time and energy, number one, I won't be present with them. And number two, it's not going to benefit anyone in the long run. So there's a lot that I've had to learn about my time and my lifestyle and the changes that I've made. But yeah, that's a long winded what a day in the life looks like. <laughs> oh, no, it's so good to hear that you actually even recognize in that one moment, you guys can handle this by yourself. I like that you actually gave them that autonomy instead of like, let's just reschedule to another day. You said, I'm not going to show up and you guys got this. That probably prompted them to step in more leadership energy and be like, okay, we're running the meeting without Whitney. We need to take this into our hands. And that probably made them better people in the long run. And then, like you said, you were more nourished after. I think a lot of times we can look to nature to watch how nature works. You don't plant a flower and then 
the next day expected to be this beautiful sturdy mm-hmm. sunflower and yelling at it and like hosing it down with water like that's not normal you wait yeah. you do what it has to do you put it in sunlight you talk mm-hmm. to it you put you put water on it i feel like it's the same thing with a business a lot of us get into business i feel like this is from social media comparison and we're like why am i not hitting this revenue this month why am i not at that level why did i not get on this podcast and it's like month 3 And I think people underestimate how much time it takes to really build the business that they want to be, like the build the person they want to be. And I'm curious for new entrepreneurs, what's like probably one of your biggest pieces of advice when it comes to patience and like taking that time to really build that foundation? That's a hard one because I think we obviously all want to see growth and we all want to see exponential growth, especially month over month. I would say that being patient can look like one of two things. Being impatient can kind of look like hands off, kind of just waiting for the opportunities to come to you. Or being patient can also look like bettering and building. And I think if you shift that into, okay, maybe I'm not where I'm wanting to be revenue-wise this month. What are three things that I can do to either reflect on why I'm not at that revenue level or how I'm going to get to that revenue level next month? Same thing with your growth. Being patient can look like, okay, this is reevaluating my systems, training my team. When 2020 happened and we lost like 75% of our business in the agency, I was super panicked and it felt like the world had just tied both my hands behind my back. I mean, I couldn't sign brands. No one wanted to do anything. There was major layoffs. Everything was really wild. And there were two things that we did that really changed the guts of the company. And one of them was that we took all that downtime and reinvested it into training our team. So we learned like Pinterest, we learned ads, we did a bunch of different things. And second, because we were doing that, we were able to catch on to the D2C boom during 2020 and be able to lean into the education around direct-to-consumer and expand our business. So being patient can look like multiple things for multiple people, But usually if you're being patient, there's some sort of opportunity in there for you to grow in some way. And sometimes it's reflection on your business and the ways you can better it. Sometimes it's rest. Sometimes it's education and learning and reevaluating things. But I think that for a new entrepreneur, don't be so quick to judge yourself on your timeline and on your patience. Be more inquisitive of what is actually going on and what's going to better you in the long run. Love that. Don't judge yourself. I think something that always helps is either A, looking at how long it took an entrepreneur to get to the place where they wanted to be. That's why I love listening to how I built this because I'm like, oh my God, this person took like 17 years, was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt before they actually hit their stride. They didn't just open the business in month one, we're off to the races. And number two, we're doing our best. Like entrepreneurship, you're starting out wearing 15 hats. All of a sudden you're a social media manager, an email marketer, a CPA, a salesperson, like you're everything. And then we're so hard on ourselves. And I'm like, unless you went to school for all these 15 things and specialize in it, there's going to be a learning curve and probably 75% of it. So I think something that helps me is I have this little planner next to me. And instead of planning things, I write down things I did that day that I want to give myself credit for. Because I think entrepreneurs, we sometimes get down on ourselves if we didn't make a sale or something big didn't happen. And sometimes I have to look and be like, 
you know what you got you cleared your inbox good for you chelsea you did it great you you finally tracked your finances from this week like i have to reward myself because it's a lonely journey too so i would love to hear final thoughts on really staying in the game like keeping your head in the game and giving yourself the credit you deserve how would you recommend people do that yeah number one i do this like kind of money date slash like monthly celebration. So I'm super goal oriented. I'm super timeline driven. Like I am an executor when it comes to due dates and that's just the way my brain works. So for me, when I need to really reflect on being positive or what's like good that's happening, maybe I didn't have such a good month. I'll revisit all these goals that I wrote at the beginning of 2022 or again, 2021. And then I'll write down all the things that went great that month. Did we bring on something? Did we get a hit with PR? Did we go on this awesome podcast? What were the things that were awesome for me that month? And then from that, I'll also reflect too on maybe what's like going on in the finances that needed a little bit of adjustment, or maybe it's a time to look into certain services or tweak X, Y, and Z. So first and foremost, always celebrate because also too, if you're not celebrating, you're going to be extremely hard on yourself and not even giving yourself a moment to reflect on the good things and what you've already built, which is really important. And it also helps you to like, it's a really reassuring, like uplifting thing when you do this. And then second also too, like really reflecting on where you want to be. Right. So honestly, like, let's just say, you know, your goal is to hit six figures by the end of the year. And maybe you only made 10 grand this month. What happened in this month? In what long term are you going to be able to reflect on and analyze and know that this didn't work? Maybe you spent too much money. Maybe you didn't do enough sales. Maybe a client service isn't working out and it's wasting all your time. Those are opportunities when something doesn't go wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong. It just means that you need to shift or you need Mm -hmm. to learn. Yes. Failure is not actually failure. It's just a learning lesson. It's feedback. So yeah. Thank you for saying that. Well, I just have one final question that I ask all my guests. This podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion, and it clearly you are an expert in marketing and entrepreneurship, <laughs> but what is something you're not an expert in that you wish that you were? Oh, law. <laughs> <laughs> if I could know California law, oh my God, or oh business God. law, like the back of my hand. I would be virtually unstoppable. That and real estate. Those are the two topics I wish I just knew so much better. I love that. Well, maybe <laughs> we'll see in 2023, you're like law, real estate, marketing guru. Like Kim Kardashian yeah. just going after it. Yeah. We're going to see Whitney like, guys, I have, I just got my law degree. So I'm excited. Thank you so much. This has been such an incredible conversation. And I know you have amazing services and products. Where can everybody find you? Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys can learn more about the agency at ecosmarketing.com. It's literally just my last name. You can find our newest baby, which is our hemp-infused instant coffee, Get Super, at G-E-T-S-U-P-R.com. There's no E in super. Then you guys can follow along in my personal journey and listen to our podcast at Under the Influence Podcast or Whitney Eckes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much, Chelsea. It's been a pleasure. 